This episode of Hello PhD is sponsored by Promega and listeners like you. Thanks for your support. My two golden rules of interviews. Don't get drunk and don't hit on anyone. <laughs> We're trying to sell you on our programs as much as you're trying to sell us on you. Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. This week, we present insider tips for acing your grad school interview. From breakfast meetings to a night on the town, stay with us. And we're back. This is Hello PhD, episode 106. I'm Joshua Hall. And I'm Daniel Arneman. And we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. Dan, I liked how you changed your inflection slightly on that intro. Every time, Josh, just trying to keep it fresh. Man. Trying to, to do it a new way so people don't fall asleep in the first three seconds of the show. Each week, I never know what's going to happen. Dan, we got a little bit of snow around here. Quite a bit. I had over a foot, which is uh, very, very unusual for this part of the world. And most life stopped for a few days. Yeah, that is my favorite thing about living in the southeastern United States. When it snows here... Everything shuts down. Yeah, you just assume you don't have to go to work, you don't have to go to school, it's fine. Yeah. Actually, it, did the university close? It didn't, did it? Uh, yeah, it closed for a day and a half, actually. Wow. Yeah, that yeah. is impressive, because usually that doesn't happen. Yeah, and you know, one thing you can always count on when it snows here in the south is there will be those northern transplants from the New England area who say, well where I'm from, it snows a foot and we're back at work the next day. And I'm like, well, that's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, they also have plows. I mean, I grew yeah. up in the snow belt. I, yeah. The difference is here, it melts and then refreezes. Yeah. And so it is a sheet of ice everywhere. Yeah, two of my coworkers actually uh, slipped and fell on their way. That's and, terrible. Yeah, yeah they're okay. okay. Uh, only a bottle of kombucha was uh, broken. That's terrible. That, yeah, that stuff's expensive. You that know? is, it's yeah. Like Whole Foods. So, uh, but anyway, Dan, we are thawed out for the most part, and we're back here in the studio. Keeping warm with something special, Josh. Yeah, so the holidays are fast approaching, Dan, so I got us a special beer to celebrate. This is from Trogs Brewing. How do you pronounce it? Is that an umlaut? Is that what you would call the two dots over the O? I guess, yeah, that makes sense. I don't know, yeah, but I don't know how to pronounce that word. It looks like Trogs. 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 The rest of the show, we're just going to try in different ways of saying this word, T-R-O-E. Well, I'm sure this G-S. is a, a common a common spelling from Pennsylvania, which is where you're from, Dan. This is a, a brewery from Hershey, Pennsylvania. Have you been to Hershey? I have never been. It literally smells like chocolate. Does it really? Town, yeah. I mean, that is all I know about it is the Hershey chocolate factories there. And the streetlights look like kisses. Hershey is that right? Kisses, yeah. I presume you've been there to the Hershey. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, is it worth a, the going? No, uh, there's an amusement park there, which is why I went as a kid, okay. and you can go on a little tour and get a free Hershey's kiss, but definitely not. The, yeah. the candy tour is not that exciting. The amusement park was a lot of fun. Okay. Well, this is from that town. Uh, this does not taste like chocolate, but this is the Mad Elf, and the Mad Elf is an ale brewed with honey and cherries, and this only comes out around the holiday season. All right, Dan, and just to give you some stats, this is an 11% ABV, 15 IBUs. Uh, with spicy Belgian yeast used for fermentation. What do you think of it, the Mad Elf? Um, first impression on the four, I thought, oh, wow, we're drinking a darker beer because the, the color is something that we have not seen before, I don't think. Yeah, I'll say the bottle actually states the color is ruby red. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. it, it is 
it's more than rusty. It's definitely got a red a red hue to it. It's, it's really nice color. On the darker like side, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, what are your first impressions of the Mad Elf? Well, I read on the bottle. The first thing I read was ale brewed with honey and Cheerios, <laughs> and that was not correct. I looked a little closer. That honey nut or <laughs> yeah, is that that honey man, this, and is, this is an aside. Have you been to the cereal aisle of the grocery store lately? Uh, of course. Have you seen how many types of Cheerios there are? These so days? many types. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's like. There's like Oreo Cheerios and there's like... I'm sorry I brought it up, Josh, because it really does say brewed with honey and cherries. It does say cherries, And, and you cherries. can taste the... You, I, I can taste the cherry in this. Can you? Um, yeah, you can definitely taste the cherry. I am not usually a cherry flavor fan. I typically don't like things that are cherry flavored. Um, but this is subtle enough that it's actually not... Uh, it's not syrupy, like cough syrupy cherry. Although, uh, I don't know. It is a... It, the flavor of cherry is not that pronounced you can taste it but it's not the primary thing you're tasting um but i think the thickness of the beer does give it a little bit of a syrupy quality and if you're one of those people that took medicine as a kid and Mm, did not like that cherry flavor i would stay away from it yeah i think this beer could be good if you were recovering from some kind of like uh, viral or sinus infection probably a medicine would probably help i think tastes like luden's cough drops Remember I those? used to like those, yeah, those actually. The best. Those were really good. This episode brought to you by Luden's <laughs> Cough Drops. <laughs> Luden's. Go to Luden's.com slash Hello Cough Drops. They probably don't even exist. I don't know. They were so good. Um, they were just pure. Sh- they were candy, really. Yeah, they were. That's why they were uh, good. Uh, you know, I was talking about the Cheerios. I'm sorry. This is still on my mind. Um, similar to Cheerios, Oreos are just about as bad as ha- at having way too many. Fl- I mean, Oreos on their own. They used to just be Oreos, right? Yes. And then double stuffed. And double stuffed. But now there's like birthday cake and mint and you know all kinds of i have not been in the cookie aisle enough i guess well apparently now there is a cookies and cream oreo wait a minute which is like that is the cookies and cream (laughs) that is the cookie yeah think about it yeah cookies and cream what does cookies and cream ice cream mean it means ice cream with oreos right right so if you have cookies and cream flavored oreos how did we get on this tangent (laughs) it's oreos flavored oreos this is this is where we've come to dan okay fair enough (laughs) that was episode 106 <laughs> thanks for listening yep. yeah let's wrap it up I, th- I don't think there's anywhere to go from here all right dan before we get into our topic which i'm really excited about um i wanted to just take a moment and say thank you to all of our awesome patrons who are generous enough to support the show yeah we are very appreciative and as the year ends i think we're even more thankful i mean it's just been so amazing the support we've gotten this year and um, the community that's kind of formed around that group where we have our Slack channel. Um, I checked in this week with how everybody was doing. And uh, it's, I don't know, it's just fascinating to me. The lives of graduate students and postdocs and, and people who are in that channel because they're doing such a variety of different things that, I don't know, there's always an interesting conversation. In a variety of different places too. Yeah, all over the world, absolutely. Yeah, and, and I will say, um, I think it's really cool for for us to be able to get some instant feedback from actual grad students who listen to what we say and give their opinions and ideas. Yeah, they are the first people to tell us how terrible each episode is, and we thank them for that. Every week. So if you'd like to do that also, you can um, support the show, patreon.com slash hellophd, and we'll give you access to our Slack channel and all that comes with it. Uh, speaking of Dan, we'd also like to thank our friends at Promega. You know, it's it's really important in grad school to realize that sometimes you don't have all the answers. 
And that's actually okay and expected. We're about to talk about that. We are. Uh, but Promega's technical support team is there to help you with all those random questions. How do I interpret these results? What reagent should I use? What does this protocol step even mean? They have a team of scientists who are there to help you out. So give them a call, use their online chat feature, and they will help you get where you need to go. Check out promega.com slash PhD support. All right, Josh, ready for the main event? I am ready. Dan, so excited we have... Our good friend, Beth Bowman from Vanderbilt, back on the show this week to talk about grad school interviews. Hopefully everybody can remember back in episode 101, we talked with Beth about knowing when and where to apply. It's kind of a, one of these heavy questions about, uh, I know I want to go to grad school, but I have a lot of options and it's kind of expensive and takes a lot of time. So wh- how should I narrow down my list? How should I know where to go? How should I even know if I'm ready to go? So if those questions apply to you, um, definitely go back and listen to episode 101. But I think what we're we're getting into the season now, Josh, where people have applied mm-hmm. and we're coming up on the next major event. Yeah, as we've mentioned on the show before, a big part of getting into grad school is not just getting those applications in, but there's usually this in-person, on-campus interview step. When am I going to get my fat letter that says I'm invited or not invited? No more, no more Manila folders, packets, and oh, papers. Oh, you're kidding anymore. me! No, it's all. That's email. how you tell whether it's good news or bad news. It's small envelope, bad. Big That's envelope, right, yep. good. Yeah, no, we don't send booklets out. No more booklets. Uh, well, maybe some people do. I don't know, but we don't. It's just stuff with confetti now. <laughs> it just spews out. When you open you don't it. need to send it. You just do. It's like one of those New Year's poppers. You yeah. know, when you open it up. Consider that, Josh. <laughs> what are the snakes in a can? <laughs> like, jump out. <laughs> That's if you didn't get in, right? Yeah, yeah. You also get scared. All right, so what we're going to do today, Dan, is we're going to have a conversation with Beth where we break down all the ins and outs about what to expect during that interview visit, how you can prepare, how you can really screw up. How, well, I guess I should say how you can avoid really screwing up. Uh, and really just, yeah, what to what to expect and how to do the best you can do. Set me straight on timing, Josh. Uh, when I was asking about my fat letter or my thin letter, mm-hmm. when what time of year do I expect those back? Yeah, well, emails. I know. But. Yeah, so so usually emails. Some people might be starting to hear now. Um, you know, I've really noticed. I've been sort of in the admissions business uh, for at least biomedical PhDs for the last nine years, and I feel like it's it it gets earlier and earlier. Where now, you know, deadlines used to be very commonly in January. Yeah, end of January. Now they're almost all beginning of December, and you know committees are meeting now, making decisions. So some folks, we're speaking in mid December. Yeah, it's mid December now. So I think over the next month, uh, the bulk of of interview offers will probably go out, and a lot of interviews happen between January, February, March. And as you know, Dan, at least actually I don't know if this is true for all programs, but at least in the sort of science world, biomedical world. In the United States, April 15th is kind of the deadline for accepting offers. So all this is happening sort of in the winter months, I would say, these interviews. Okay, so most applications are in, mm-hmm. committees are meeting, yep. they're going to make offers this month or early next month, or, uh, offers for interviews. For interviews, And yes. then you've got to do the scheduling, you've got to figure out which places you're going to go, yep. on what weekends, there's probably some shuffling there, mm-hmm. and then the moment arrives, the moment arrives. plane tickets... Plane tickets. Who you, pays for the plane tickets? Uh, the program. 
I think that is a key difference between at least my understanding of how things like medical school interviews versus PhD interviews. Um, with a medical school interview, I believe you have to fund that yourself as the applicant. Whereas these PhD interviews, everything's paid for. And typically they will, some administrator at the university will schedule your flight for you or do you get it and then get reimbursed? Uh, I think that depends. Um, okay. I know our program, for example, we take care of all the arrangements ourselves. I do know there are some programs that want you to book it yourself and they will reimburse you. I will say there is one reason I think certain programs do that and that is to, uh, and I don't know what I, how I feel about this to be honest, but it kind of gets you on the hook and makes it harder for you to change your mind because you don't get reimbursed until card, after yeah. you go. <laughs> so use Southwest if you're not sure That's if you right. want to go so you can uh, reschedule that more easily. And and then somebody books a hotel in probably the same fashion either you, the university or you do. Yep. Do you ever have to stay with graduate students? You know, I think there... I have heard of that. I think... I'm not going to say that doesn't happen. There's some programs where that does happen. You might be hosted by a grad student. Um, a lot of programs, though, are going to put you up in a hotel. I think having another roommate, having a roommate who's an applicant is pretty standard. I think that was true for us, Dan. Um, although I do know one of my in- the very first interview I went on, um, I got my own room, and I thought, this is pretty sweet. And then my other interviews, I had a roommate. I was like, what are you doing here? Yeah, get out. <laughs> yeah. Those people didn't join the program, did they, Josh? Yeah, probably not. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they had to share a room with you, and they're like, no, out. Okay, well, that that's the nuts and bolts. I, I want to cover that because it, the fewer things you have to wonder about, yeah. the better off you are. So let's hear from Beth and find out what the actual interview process is like from those morning meetings all the way through to uh, a night on the town with the grad students. So I'm Beth Bowman, and I direct admissions for the Vanderbilt Biomedical Graduate Programs, um, the Interdisciplinary Graduate Program, and the Quantitative and Chemical Biology Program. And another thing I do on the side is I write a blog for people applying to grad schools. And I'm really passionate about making this process transparent for students so they know what to expect. Yeah, that's great. And now is a really relevant time to have you on the show to talk about graduate admissions because, as I know from our own institution and others, the the deadline for applications just passed for a lot of places. And the reason we have you on the show today is hopefully our listeners who applied to grad school are going to be getting contacted for lots of interviews coming up. So we thought you would be a great person to talk to about a little bit about what the, the graduate school interview process is like and like what students can expect, but then also what are the best ways to prepare to do really well on these interviews? Yeah, I'm glad you're talking about this because I think that word interview can be kind of intimidating and scary. And I think the first thing I want to mention is that these weekends where you go and you visit the schools to um, interview and for them to get to know you, is just as much about you getting to know the schools too. So here at Vanderbilt, and I think probably any school that's going to bring you in, see these weekends as not just a time for you to interview, but they're also recruitment weekends. So actually kind of the language we talk about it here at Vanderbilt is instead of our interview weekends, we talk about it as our recruitment weekends. So hopefully that makes it 
slightly less intimidating <laughs> because we're trying to sell you on our programs as much as you're trying to sell us on you. <laughs> yeah, no, that is absolutely true. And I can, I can um, confirm what you're saying. That's exactly how we think about it here at, at UNC Chapel Hill also, is we definitely call them recruitment weekends, not interview weekends. And you're absolutely right. It's, I liken it to, to dating. It's, uh, you know, certainly we are, we are checking you out, but also you mm-hmm. need to make sure you're, you're getting the information you need when you go visit a school. Because um, as you mentioned, you bring, bring students in, and a lot of schools do, at, and that's a really expensive thing to do. So they must really like you if they go to the time and expense to fly you all the way there and, and feed you, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and students are going to be comparison shopping, right? They're going to be looking comparing what they see about Vanderbilt when they come here, what they see at UNC when they go there, or all the wonderful schools across the country. And I think that's one of the benefits to applicants about the in-person interview process is you can actually visualize yourself there. Now, you kind of alluded to this, that not all programs and not all types of graduate schools actually do this in-person interview. Um, some schools will do Skype interviews and some programs um, will even just decide who to make an offer to, even without the interview. So not all schools have, or not all types of programs have this process. But I think generally across the biomedical sciences, this is a really common thing. So why don't we first talk a little bit about, let's say I'm an applicant and I get an interview offer for a graduate program, let's say at Vanderbilt or somewhere somewhere else. What should I expect? What's that, what's that going to be like? What types of things am I going to uh, experience on these interviews? I mean, am I just going to be grilled by faculty <laughs> about my research? Or am I going to be asked to remember things I did in organic chemistry class? Or, or what, what should Good I expect question. going into this interview weekend? Yeah. So the actual interview part of it, to me, is it's only a few hours. Or, I'm of, sorry, this recruitment weekend. I rec- should say. Thank what you. should I expect thank from you. this recruitment yes. weekend? Yes. <laughs> yes. Perfect. So the interview is actually just a few hours of it. Most of the time, you're going to be spending spending some time getting to meet current students, getting to meet faculty, and actually hearing about what the structure of the program is like, what student experiences are like, and what the research is at that institution. So. I would say it's probably very common that a school will bring you in on uh, one evening. You might have dinner that night. Then the next day is a full day of activities. Who am I going to be having dinner with? Yeah, that varies. That's a great question. It could be uh, current students. It could be faculty. It could be admission staff. Um, But I think, of course, you want to be professional during this time, but I'd say the focus is more on you getting to know the school at that first dinner rather than, you know, them asking you about um, any specific questions on on your research to grill you. Maybe they'll ask you those questions to get to know you, but it's not going to be in a way to that that is meant to ding you and your chances of getting in. Okay, so so the only thing grilled on that first night will be the the food that I ordered, but they're not gonna <laughs> they're not gonna grill me. Uh, That's right. That's right. Now I will say, if you stand out in a really negative way, that. That's not not a good thing. (laughs) So in the sense that if you one one time we had somebody with um, a baseball cap on and torn up blue jeans and 
um, messy sneakers. And that, honestly, this is going to sound strange. We accepted that guy because he killed it during the interviews. So initially he stood out to us in in a way that uh, we're not expecting anybody to be, you know, wearing really formal outfits or anything like that. But you still want to be professional, but yourself at the same time. Yes. So this is really not meant to be a time for you to be showy, um, but rather for you, you to actually be asking the questions about what is this school like? What is this program like? And the more questions you have, the better. Now, by the end of the interview weekend, you're going to be completely out of questions. Everyone will ask you, do you have any more questions? Do you have any more questions? (laughs) And you'll be exhausted. Don't be afraid to ask the same questions to multiple people either. But that, that first dinner is, is really casual and more about you. The next day, the interview day, that's probably the more, the most weighty time of your visit. So I'd say the general structure um, is that first, you'll, the program will talk about what they have to offer you at the school. And then you'll have, I don't know, anywhere from four to six interviews on, in general from what, from what I've heard across the country. Okay. And then, so who, who will be doing those interviews? Great question. Great question. Those are generally done by research faculty that are hopefully doing research in an area of interest to you. Now, there might also be members of the admissions committee who are interviewing you, and and you may or may not be told who specifically is an admissions committee member. the The point is not to intimidate you or to scare you, but rather just for for the admissions committee to get to know you better, so that hopefully somebody sitting in the room when we're making that final decision, hopefully someone there has actually met you and gotten to know you a little bit better. But I would um, say it is safe to assume, though, that regardless of if a faculty member you interview with is on the admissions committee or not, they will be providing some sort of feedback to the admissions committee. That is absolutely true. Yes. So you'll be meeting with many faculty and every one of those people will have a voice in the decision um, for whether or not you're accepted. So this is almost always done online these days or through an email where they just say what they're they're generally very quick comments about you um, as an applicant. Um, But yeah, every voice is taken into consideration. Now, I will say some schools actually do have current students interview um, as well. So don't be surprised if you see maybe a a senior student on your interview schedule. I think that's not super common, but you shouldn't be shocked if that happens either. So, So these interviews, even though they're with faculty, maybe are a smaller part of the entire time that I'm visiting, but it sounds like they're a really important time as far as, you know, being evaluated and the admissions committee ultimately making a decision on me. So how can I, what, what should I expect from that time specifically when I'm in there meeting potentially one-on-one with these faculty, what are they looking for and how can I prepare to do a good job on those interviews? Yeah, that's a great question. This is really the meat of whether or not you'll get accepted is how you do in these, in these interviews. But while that sounds scary, you should relax a little bit because really during the interview, what they're looking for is 
um, what I always say, suggest to people is to try to have a scientific conversation. So these faculty are not going <laughs> to grill you on details that you learned in a class several years ago. That's not the point. It's not really meant to be a way to evaluate if you've had whatever coursework. This is meant to be a way to evaluate your scientific thinking. Now, that's, that's hard to do, and every faculty member will go about this in slightly different ways, but usually this is done through discussing your previous research and through the faculty discussing their research as well. So the best way to prepare for these interviews is really to have conversations about your science, about your current projects, maybe about other research you've done in the past as well, um, but to be able to converse fluently about that. So specifically, they might ask you details about, you know, big, pic big picture questions. What was the hypothesis of your experiment? What is the lab in general studying? You should have a good sense about what the lab is doing, not just what your specific project is doing. And they might dive into some questions, some specific questions about experiments. So if you had one key experiment that your whole entire project was driven by, they might try to see if you really understand what the, the theory is behind that experiment. And they won't ask it in a way that's, <laughs> hopefully, they won't ask it in a way that's really intimidating and, and meant to make you uncomfortable. They're not going to grill you on that. But but they're going to kind of poke around and see if you know enough to make it clear that you were, you were intellectually contributing to your project and not just a set of hands. That's what we are always looking for. We're looking for students who have been research assistants and not just technicians. Now, the title of that, you could be working as an intellectual uh, contributor in your project, even if the title of your job was a technician. But we want to make sure that you weren't just doing things that you were told to do without understanding the background of it, the whys of it, the hows of it, the what fors of it. So, so really, it sounds like this is just a time for the institution that you applied to. You know, they've read your application, and I guess by the time you've gotten this interview, based on how you presented yourself on paper, they think you seem pretty good. Mm -hmm. And now this is just a time to make sure, okay, this person who wrote about this research on their personal statement or mentioned this research they did on their CV, let's talk to them and make sure they really understood what they were doing and the the what and the why of, of why they were doing what they were doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think one thing to keep in mind is if you're asked a question that you don't know the answer to, that is okay. You're going to, that, honestly, that's going to happen to you throughout your mm -hmm. scientific career and that's you're going to have to get comfortable with that anyway. Um, but I think what you have to be, be able to do is say, no, I don't know the answer to that, but I know this other thing that might relate to your question or maybe if they have a proposal or a suggestion for how to move your project forward, you could explain why, why you think that might be a good idea or why you think that might not be a good idea. It's, it's hard to be in this mindset when you know it's an interview, but try to remember that this is, this is just a conversation. Okay. And as much as you can calm down and, um, talk, <laughs> think through the things that, that they're asking you, while they're asking it to you, 
you'll be good. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that makes total sense. So, all right. So I'm going to, I'm going to be preparing. And so I'm going to be on my A game and prepared to talk about my own research, but how much do I need to know about their research going into So, so I guess to back up a little bit, uh, is my expectation that I will know which faculty I'm going to be talking to before I show up? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that is the case for most programs. I have heard of a few out there that you may not know until the morning of who you're going to be interviewing with. I think that's that's the exception, not the rule. Um, so for the most part, you'll probably know about a week in advance who you're going to be interviewing with, okay. um, or at least certainly a few days in advance. Okay, so how much do I need to know about their research? Yeah. Do I need to have read their five most recent papers <laughs> cover to cover and highlighted and uh, be ready to talk about that? Or, or what do you think about about that preparation? You know, Josh, I have really, I have, this is kind of the most challenging question because I don't think there, to me, there's not a singular answer for this. Um, you're right that the faculty, generally the way an interview works is the recruit will talk about their research for a little bit, and then the faculty member will, will want to talk about their research. And the goal is when the faculty member is talking about their research, you're engaging. You don't want to just be sitting there listening, quote unquote listening, I should say, not really paying attention to what they're saying. And I think that each individual can um, have that engaging conversation with different levels of preparation. So if you're interviewing with somebody who's in uh, an area of research that you're really comfortable with, you know, you may not feel like you need to do a lot of preparation. You may do be able to do a little bit of skimming of their research. If they're doing something completely different from you, it might you might be able to pick up their description of their research better if you've read a little bit about it in advance. Now, that could be just looking at their website and their, you know, quick descriptions of their research, or you could dive into a paper. I have heard a lot of students say that they've read a paper kind of as an avenue for starting that conversation. And that's, I think that's a really good approach. I got to admit, I really didn't do, this is going to sound terrible. I didn't do a whole lot of reading. I mean, at least compared to what I hear our recruits saying that they do these days. I, I looked at their website and I skimmed it over, but I also felt really comfortable engaging in that conversation and responding to what they were saying in real time. <laughs> so I think really my advice is think about what's best for you. If you're the type of person that's going to be anxious and worried about that conversation and you f you'll you feel better about it if you've prepared, prepare. <laughs> yeah, I mean, preparing and can't hurt. It's never going to hurt. It's never, ever going to hurt. In fact, it could be very, very impressive for you to do that. What you don't want is a situation where you're not, where the faculty member is talking about their science and you've completely lost track of, of what they're saying and you can't engage in that conversation. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that speaks a little bit to the importance of being engaged from the very beginning and interrupting and asking questions yes. from the very start and not sitting there five or six minutes and realizing you're totally lost and, oh, I don't know. Did they even talk about this already? I totally can't mm -hmm. remember. I zoned out. And honestly, I think that's what I did. I was not afraid to interrupt them throughout their conversation to say, oh, I'm not familiar with that. Can you explain it a little more? And 
of course you can't, you can't do that with everything they say, because then it's going to be clear that you don't know anything. But I think a great piece of advice is don't be afraid to interrupt because just as we've been saying, this is all about having a conversation. So be real. Don't feel like you have to pretend to know everything. Yeah, I think that's good. And and it can be tricky because I know a lot of times faculty, when they talk about their research in these interviews, they will like to pull up their PowerPoint slides and turn their monitor around. And, and that sort of, I think, triggers in your mind that, oh, this is a presentation. A lecture. But yeah. it's not a presentation. <laughs> it is a conversation, mm-hmm. even if there are PowerPoint mm-hmm. slides. You were talking about your experience, and I was remembering that you know, my very first grad school interview, uh, interestingly enough, was at Vanderbilt. Oh, wow. And I was ex- <laughs> we prepared you. <laughs> I, well, I was extremely prepared for that one. I actually read mm. uh, over some papers for every, I got my list ahead of time, looked over papers on the plane, and I was the night before in my hotel room, and I was so prepared. I had notes. Um, wow. But then, <laughs> but then by my subsequent interviews, I stopped doing that because I, I felt like well, I was a little bit over prepared. Yeah, and it got yeah. too busy at that point, and I couldn't do it anymore. But for that first one, you know, I was really prepared. But you know, I think you're right. I have certainly seen admissions committees and feedback from faculty who do interviews that it does make an impression on them when an applicant comes in and says, "Oh, actually, I was reading about this in your paper, or I had this question about this paper that you published. I was looking over." Um, that always looks good. It does look good. I think you're right, though. To to do it at the level that you can still keep track. Cause I've, I've also heard the opposite of this student clearly had my research mixed up with their previous <laughs> interviewer <laughs> Yeah, and that it's, we're all humans. I think that that's, that happens and that's okay. Okay. So, all right. So you talked a little bit about, I'm going to come in and maybe the evening before I'm going to go to dinner. That's going to be kind of casual, maybe with some grad students and I'm going to just, get comfortable, get to know a little bit about the school. Then Friday, I'm going to get some information about the program, probably in some formal capacity, and they're going to answer a lot of questions. (laughs) And then I'm going to have my faculty interviews uh, for Mm -hmm. most of the day, I guess. So, So then what? I go home, or are there other things that are going to happen after those faculty interviews? Yeah, so you'll probably have another casual dinner that night, most likely one of your dinners is going to be more casual than the other. So maybe your Thursday night dinner is the really casual one with just students. And then the Friday night is with faculty as well, or vice versa. I think that there's, you'll probably have one of each of those. And generally, again, the, this, either of those dinners is meant for you to still get to know more about the school. Now, of course, you're going to be having dinner with faculty, and and I have definitely gotten feedback from faculty at dinner saying I had this really impressive conversation with this one student, make sure that they get an offer. Um, So I'll get feedback, unsolicited feedback sometimes from those dinners, but it's not a formal interview. So don't feel like you have to be too nervous there. Just talk, be yourself. I think what can look bad is if this is going to make somebody even more nervous if they weren't nervous enough. If you are a very shy person who has a really difficult time coming out of your shell, you really might want to push yourself to talk more than you normally would. And that's that's a challenge. I completely understand that. I, I think I'm innately that person. I've just spent years pushing myself to talk. 
But we, we talk about this in our admissions committee all the time that we don't want to miss a superstar just because they didn't talk. But the challenge is that we really can't get to know you. A lack of talking could either mean you're a quiet superstar or it could mean you don't know what when you don't know what you were doing, what anybody's talking about, and you're completely lost. The problem is, as an admissions committee, it's a gamble then for us to know whether or not we should accept you into our program or not. So even at dinners, <laughs> even if they're casual dinners, be be comfortable, be confident, and try to get out of your shell a little bit. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And I think the end of the day, I don't think any of us involved in admissions want it to be a personality contest, right? Right. Uh, we yes. want to judge people for their potential to do research. Yes. However, you're right. I think it is important to realize that there is a certain aspect of succeeding in science in graduate school or at any level that involves working as a team and communicating with the people in your lab, with your PI, with your peers, um, giving presentations. And so there does have to be some baseline level of willingness and ability to (laughs) communicate. Um, But you're absolutely right. I think the process itself is a little more challenging for shy people. But probably at the end of the day, you know, if you really rock those one-on-one faculty interviews, but you're a little shy at dinner, you're probably still going to be okay. Excellent point. Excellent. Thank you. That is absolutely true. Really, the interviews are the more important part. The The dinners are kind of, any comments from that are just icing on the cake. That's not, that's generally not going to make or break a decision there. So good point. Yeah. So why don't you talk a little bit about, we're speaking of make or break. Um, so we've talked about <laughs> ways you can, you can really make your interview go well. Um, but, but besides just, you know, doing a bad job during the interviews, maybe you actually don't know anything about your research or you have a hard time explaining it um, or you fall asleep in the middle of a faculty member talking about their research. Um, (laughs) It's happened. Please don't do that. (laughs) Are are there any things that could happen that would be a kiss of death um, during an interview weekend? Things that I should make sure at all costs do not do these things. Oh boy, I have several anecdotal stories. (laughs) Um, I do too. I'm curious if we have the same anecdotal stories. Um. I think one thing is, you know, different schools will pay attention to social media at different levels. We generally don't very much unless we happen to hear some conversation that triggers us. So we had one student who at these casual dinners um, talked a little bit about how much she drinks and she talked a little too much about that. So we, it just kind of triggered us to look at her, her social media profiles. And we saw a lot of things on there that we were not comfortable with. So despite the fact that she had wonderful interview reports, these, you know, conversations you have, you, you you are still trying to be, you should try to be a professional um, interviewee. We also had at, at a dinner, I was having a, just a random conversation with a, with a recruit who he was telling me about his science and it just sounded really impressive. And I kept asking him questions and all of a sudden it became even more impressive. And I asked him more questions and it became unbelievably impressive. And then he kept building his story about what his previous research was in a way that I, as a scientist, I knew that it was not real, that he was just making things up. And 
even though he had really great interview reports, because I think he made himself sound impressive during those conversations, I think I was able to spend the time to dig a little bit and prod a little bit more to realize he, he was inflating himself. And that's a, that's a big red flag to us because as a scientist, you know, (laughs) honesty and truthfulness is very, very important. So I think, you know, being careful about what you describe about your personal life and maybe even what you do represent about yourself on social media, those are important. Now, we're not trying to get individuals who, we're not seeking individuals who have one type of lifestyle, but just be careful. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, I think the, sort of the, the yin and yang of the biomedical graduate interview is on one hand, it is really laid back and you really, I know, and a lot, and I know myself coming from being an undergraduate, you really feel wined and dined, you know, these fancy dinners and there's beer and there's wine and there's people having fun and, and, and treating you really well. And the danger of that is that you can lose sight of the fact that this is still an interview, this is still an evaluation. And and I think the other thing that can be challenging is you're spending time with graduate students who are also taking part, and they are not being interviewed. <laughs> uh, they have very much not been wined and dined for the last <laughs> six months. They're enjoying months. it. <laughs> right, they're making up yes. for lost time. Um, That's right. <laughs> but, but to remember, they're not in the same boat as you. And so, Good point. Um, you know, I guess what I, when I usually give my two golden rules of interviews, they are don't get drunk and don't hit on anyone. <laughs> Excellent rules. And, Excellent and, rules. <laughs> and, you know, and, and for me, those very much come not even as jokes, but things that I have seen that have happened that have been an automatic, an automatic kiss of death, no matter how good the interviews went. Behaving inappropriately during a social event can really be enough to tank you. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and one good point about this is we've talked about these dinners, but almost always on Friday night after dinner, there, there's a good chance that the grad students might invite interviewees out or recruits out for some more drinking and dancing and who knows what karaoke. We do karaoke all the time. <laughs> and it, it, I think that is an invitation to have fun and experience the city a little bit more. But yeah, just just be careful. Yeah, so, <laughs> so let's talk about that just for a moment because you know I've gone I've gone to dinner and you know I've had a glass of wine and that's done and the grad students are are going to go out on the town, uh, maybe go to some bars or a karaoke club or something. Should I participate? What what should I do? How do I approach yeah. that? Because that sounds really fun to me, uh, but I'm also interviewing. So what do I do? Mm. How do I even think about yeah. that? Well, that's funny. That sounds fun to you. It didn't sound fun to me because I was <laughs> exhausted. <laughs> so I think the answer is it is completely up to you. Whether you go or not, that is not going to impact if you get an offer. So for me, I always wondered if I didn't go because right. I'm a stick in the mud. <laughs> that was then, not a right to your stick in the mud. I don't think you're stick in the mud. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Would it mean that I wouldn't be looked at as part of the group? And no, this is really just an opportunity for you if you want to participate. So don't feel like you have to, either you're too tired or that's just not your jam. 
I, I, I went to my room and just mostly was watching TV to try to come down from the busyness of the day. Okay. So um, if after dinner, the grad students are going out and some of the recruits, but I really just want to go be by myself, go yeah. to bed or watch TV. Do it. That's not going to reflect negatively on me. No, not at all. That's great. Not to at know. all. And I will say, you know, I think that it can come off like you should go because I think grad student enthusiasm for, for portraying a fun life <laughs> and inviting you, their invitations sometimes might come across as more pressure than they mean that mean it to, because they forget also that you're interviewing and you're intimidated. And um, so don't feel like their enthusiasm is pressure, even if it might seem like that. Yeah, that's, I think that's good advice. You know, I guess speaking for a moment for maybe people like me who want to go by going and, and, you know, some, some advantages to going could be the grad students are really going to have their guard down at that Mm -hmm. point. And sometimes those social times can be a really useful time to get the real deal for just to observe, almost to be a scientist and see how the current Mm. students interact with each other, how they talk about the program, how they, uh, in the the conversations they have with each other, that can be really Mm -hmm. useful um, information, but, but that I don't have to participate. Even if I go out, I don't necessarily have to drink, um, yeah, true, I could just true. go and be there for a little while and mm-hmm. not be the life of the party. That's right. And you could decide to leave early. Mm-hmm. I mean, we will reimburse anybody if they want to grab an Uber back to the hotel from the bar or something like that. So I'm sure that any place would do that. Um, if they're going to stay out until one or two and you're a 11 o'clock person, that's fine too. Because kind of following up on this the next day, you'll probably have some more activities that are mostly about getting to see the city. So, you know, it might, if you're not a stay up all night and then wake up the next morning to still do stuff person, <laughs> that that's okay too. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so certainly it sounds like just knowing, being true to who you are and knowing yes. your own limits and sticking yes. to those in the context of knowing this is not this is not a fun weekend away with my friends. This is right. an interview. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's a great, great way to sum it up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, Bethel, I think this has been really helpful. Is there anything else that you wanted to say? Yeah, I did. I did just realize um, there are a couple other things about the interview that you should be prepared for. So while there's not going to be a set list of questions that you get, I think, um, this is going to sound ridiculous. I was caught off guard. (laughs) My very first interview, the question was, why do you want to go to graduate school? And I was prepared to talk about my research. I was prepared to listen to research, but I just didn't have my succinct answer for that question. (laughs) And we've talked a little bit about why you should go to grad school. You should go back and listen to that episode (laughs) if you haven't already, but make sure you have a good reason to go to grad school. And you don't necessarily have to know what you're going to do after grad school, um, but you have to be passionate about research. That should be part of your answer. And hopefully that, and hopefully that's true. Hopefully it's true. Exactly. <laughs> I was just going to say that. Don't just say it if you don't mean it. <laughs> I think it'll be obvious if you don't mean it. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I think that's, that is a great point. That is a question you absolutely want to not be caught off guard. And again, I actually <laughs> hope that everyone out there listening who is applying to grad school or considering it can answer that question yes. of why they want to do it. Uh, <laughs> and if at least part of it doesn't involve, I like doing research, then you might want to 
reconsider. That's uh, right. But, but I think another question um, that, that seems to come up sometimes is, why do you want to come here for grad school? Mm-hmm. Uh, why yeah, did you? True. Why did you uh, apply here? Why Vanderbilt? Good question. And I, I think that you don't always have to have like a wealth of information that you're going to say, oh, I like this and that and this and that. But if you, it could be kind of general, you know that that's a good research institution and maybe there's a faculty member or two that you're interested in, um, or it doesn't have to be that you can regurgitate what the program is back to the interviewer. Um, as long as you can kind of broadly explain that you're, you like what you see, what you can see online about the program. Do you think I need to know exactly what my career goals are if I'm... If I really don't, I really don't. I think that you, I think that if you have very defined career goals, that's fantastic. But I, I think part of the answer should say that, you know, that you want to go to graduate school and why you want to go to graduate school. But I really like answers that say that they're open to exploring other possibilities. Josh, I know you, your UNC is very similar to Vanderbilt in that we have really great offices of career development to showcase um, the diverse careers that you could do after grad school and people change their minds. So I don't think you have to have a def- you know, perfectly defined answer, but I think to back it up, you know, instead, so you don't sound wishy-washy, you, you, you do have to then say why, you know, grad school is the right step for you. Yeah, I think that's good. And if you're anything like me, my career goals changed substantially yes. during the time I was in grad <laughs> me school. Too. So it would have been a worthless answer that I would have given exactly. <laughs> at the beginning. And I, but I think a, um, an interesting point on this, back when I was interviewing, we always had this advice that you should always say you want to stay in academic research. Right. And if you do say that, that's great. But I think that is not a requirement these days. You don't have to feel like you have to represent yourself as a future PI if that's not who you are. Um, that's really, there's been a huge push by the NIH to diversify career opportunities and, and options for PhD scientists. So don't have an untrue canned answer. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I think I think that's sort of a good a good way to to wrap it up is uh, you know a lot of the things that you've been talking about it seems like really at the end of the day be yourself you know if you're a person who's excited about research and excited about that school and that program just let that come through during the time that you're visiting and things will probably work out okay I completely agree yeah cool well thanks Beth so so remind remind us where if people want to hear more from you uh, more tips for graduate admissions, where can they find you? Great. Yeah. So I write a blog. It's called Materials and Methods. And um, I share this passion with Josh about being transparent um, about what grad school is like. And my passion is more on this side of things, the admission side of things. So check out that blog for how to apply, what matters in the review process, how to interview you, and even first year details about how to pick rotations and um, how to pick your thesis lab, that kind of thing. Well, that sounds great. We will make sure to put a link to that in the show notes. And Dan claims that he was going to add a resources page to our website. So if he has done that, <laughs> I will make sure that a link to your I blog actually, is put on there. I saw he did that. Thank you, Dan. Great job, Dan. Good job. I'm glad <laughs> to hear that he it. did that. <laughs> and I should visit our website more. <laughs> awesome. All right, Beth. Well, thank you. I'm sure we will have you back on the show again sometime soon. Look forward to it. Thanks, Josh. 
All right, Dan, do you feel prepared for your graduate school interview now? I feel so much better. I wish I honestly, this is how I feel about most of the time that, that we podcast and you, you, you know, share your experience or we talk with somebody who's an expert. I wish I had known all these things, you know, like the, the anxiety, the nerves that I felt at that time, I probably could have felt a little bit less of that if I had known what to expect. Yeah. You're probably like me, Dan. Um, I mentioned this when I was talking to Beth, but I distinctly remember getting my first phone call for an interview um, it was over the holiday break, and I was at. I remember I was sitting. I was in my bedroom at my parents' house, home from college for the break, and I remember getting that phone call, and I had no idea what to expect. I, I was largely going in blind. I imagine you are too. And it's a little unusual to think, oh, I need to go be somewhere for three days to interview. Like for a for a career yeah. for a job, you would go for an hour, or or there are places where you'll interview for a day, which is a lot, but to go for three days and stay overnight and it's, it, it could be intense. Yeah. I remember thinking, you know, they're going to buy me a plane ticket and I'm yeah. going to fly there for a few days. What am I going to do for a few days? You know, what can I possibly do all this time? And you found out. I found out. And, and you know what? I think we have talked about this before, Dan. Well, because we met on our grad school interview, but I had a lot of, I had a lot of fun actually for the most part, ended up enjoying that process. Hopefully you had just the right amount of fun, not, not too, too much, much not too little. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Uh, I did make it through. So, um. which I thought was a really good piece of advice, and I'm glad that you two covered it in the interview. Um, this is a professional interaction, and when you get in and you're in your first year, you can go out with the grad students and do whatever you want. But for this for this event, I would keep my wits about me and uh, be learning from the from you know if you decide to go out with the graduate students. Use that opportunity to mine them for information because they'll probably be a little looser with their yeah. conversation and yeah. you should be a little tighter. And, and, you know, I mentioned this, but it really is is a tricky... Tra- I don't want to say it's a trap because I, it's certainly not an intentional... Uh, it's not intentional on the point of the program. But, you know, it does feel so laid back and, you know, especially with the socializing and if there's, you know, drinking involved, it can feel like, oh, I'm out having fun with my friends, but you're really not, you know, you're... Yeah, absolutely not. And and we've been on the other side of it as well as students where you go out and you take these um, interviewees out for for beers and you're having a good time and you, you're spending the time trying to convince them to come to your school because you like them as people and you want them to, to like the place that you like. And so there is some camaraderie there, but I promise you that if... And, and I think this, you know, not these specific things happen, but if somebody comes up to you and they're having a great time and, and like they decide to tell you something really terrible about themselves, they're a neo-Nazi on the side or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I promise you, I don't like them enough to not hold that against them. So yeah, um, obviously it's not going to rise to that level, but if you do get a little sloppy drunk or if you do overshare on some really deeply personal, you know, you and your significant other or whatever it is, you may think you're having a good time, but it, it can't be a, a check positive in, in your column. It's not going to, nothing you can say can help you at that point. Yeah. And I, I remind my own students every year who are applying for graduate school that to not forget the interview starts the moment the grad student or whoever picks you up from the airport and it doesn't end until they drop you off on that Saturday morning or whenever you're about to fly back. Yeah. There are, 
there are moments where you're going to be just one-on-one. You may say something in confidence. It's not in confidence. Um, oh, I only came here because I was really excited about seeing the city, but I don't stop. Stop talking. Yeah, you know, that actually, I don't think that came up in our interview, but that is another kiss of death is if you are uh, talking about how really your first choice is this other school yep, exactly. <laughs> while you're not even to school. a graduate student yep, absolutely. while you know you've had a great day so so my point is just just keep that that keep your thoughts to yourself for that one weekend yeah um, on some of those topics and and learn as much as you can yeah and i want to i want to say a couple other things um and and one we i hope we haven't scared people through this conversation with with beth um, that makes it sound like, oh, well, you really need to know your science and, you know, you really need to be engaged with what all the faculty are saying and, you know, don't slip up, don't have too much fun. Uh, grad school interviews are a lot of fun. You know, they're really, int- you meet a lot of interesting people. They're memorable. I remember. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So great. Um, and, and the other thing I want just to, you know, ease your mind a little bit is most people get in. Uh, once they have an interview. And so if you think about admissions like a funnel, you know, there's the application step. And the biggest cut is between the applying, sending in your application and getting an interview. So if you got the interview offer, you should feel pretty good about yourself, I think. Yeah, and because again, all these things we've talked about, just think about the finances of that, right? Of programs going to buy you a plane ticket. They're going to feed you multiple meals. They're going to put you up in a hotel for for a couple nights. They Uber's would not, home. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're not going to spend that amount of money if there's only only 20% of those students are going to get in, right? So so really, it's yours to lose at that point. And, and it really is, like, like Beth said, like I said, it is as much a recruitment event and an opportunity for the program to put their best foot forward and convince you that it's a place you want to be as much as it is an experience to grill you. And um, now you have, you have to do your part, but again, most, most people do get in. Yeah. I, and, and it's, I think good to be self-possessed and to have that confidence that uh, you wouldn't be there if you didn't present well, at least Mm -hmm. on paper so far. And I really love the advice just about having the conversation about science. This is not a, a situation. I, I, I'm sure there are, are some faculty members who will want to interview you in a style to make themselves look really smart. But I think most of them really want to share their science and they're reading whether or not you can follow their train of logic. They don't. It's not so much about, does he already know everything about this field? It's more about, can he think through this process and and ask questions and have a conversation about something on this level and and how much they like you and get along with you is as important as you know you being an expert in their particularly last paper right mm-hmm. it's it's not so much about you knowing everything it's more about you being a a colleague a fellow scientist yeah definitely or just the type of person they want to hang out with for the next 5 years or so yeah well there's that too yeah i think you mentioned it briefly josh but i did want to ask for normal people who didn't just apply to one or two places, how do you handle the scheduling for five? How many places did you go? Well, you know, I I probably didn't apply to enough places. I applied to more than you. Okay, but, but okay, so give me an <laughs> but, example of somebody who applied to a lot of places. How many places can you go in a two month period? Yeah, well, I have had. I've had students before who ended up going on 13 interviews. That is impossible. Uh, and that's too much, I okay. will say. That's one end of the spectrum. Uh, that's too much. 
Uh, Are there 13 weekends in the... Well, you know, some schools now have started... Well, some schools now probably to avoid, I think what you're insinuating, um, avoid overlap with other programs is they've started doing Sunday through Tuesday interviews instead of Thursday through Saturday. So you conceivably, and I've seen students do this, you can do a Thursday through Saturday one place, fly home and then fly out on Sunday to do a Sunday through Tuesday, then fly out again on Thursday and do the whole thing again. And people have done it. People, people do, do it. it yeah. yeah, people definitely do it. I will regularly talk to folks, especially towards the end of the season, who've who've done six or seven. I mean, that's pretty common, I would say. We'll have to talk about carbon footprints for the interview <laughs> process sometime. <laughs> that's true. But, you know, I, I see Dan... Uh, you know, one of the things that can, and this is probably what you were getting at, one of the things that can invariably happen is what if you've already committed to go on an interview at one school and then you later hear from another school that you're really interested in who has their interview on the exact same week. Yeah, weekend. and you can't do, you do like, oh, my grandma died. No, the other <laughs> Grandma's one. Grandma's not looking yeah. well <laughs> two months from now. <laughs> no, I mean the fifth grandma. She's really, sorry. Yeah, well, you know, that happens. I think what's important to know from an applicant point of view is that situation you're in is more common than you think. Because as you mentioned, Dan, I mean, most doesn't people... It signal, doesn't it signal like, oh, I can't come to your school because I'm going to want to like better? It does. And then maybe I change my mind after I see your school. But the point is, I've already, I've already said something by my schedule. Yeah, it could say that. Um, it certainly could say that. You know, schools also are a little narcissistic, though, and so what what we will likely think is just what you said, Dan, as well. Once they see us, once they meet us, they're going to see how amazing our school is, right, if we can just get them here. But I think what you do if you're in that situation is honesty, the best policy maybe, is you just reach out and you say, hey, you know what, uh, I scheduled my interview with you on this date, um, I heard back from this other program, and the only option I have for them is the same week. Do you have any other options? Are there because you know most schools have more than one weekend? So Not they all may do. be willing to be flexible because they know that you are going to go to multiple places. Yeah, the answer could be if maybe they have three identical weekends, uh, then maybe it's just the same to them to say, sure, you know, how about the next week? Is it actually good for you to know that other schools want you? I'm I'm playing head games now. It's like uh, you know, not necessarily no, because no. you know the people you're interacting with to do the scheduling. It's not, it's not that's not their job is to decide yeah, how many. It won't people necessarily wanna, then that information won't necessarily get directly back to the people ultimately making decisions on your acceptance. It might, but it might not. So got it. And and what I'm really more concerned in this question, Josh, is mentally how do you deal with this because. I just remember, and I think I was more like Beth, I remember being exhausted at the end of a day, let alone a three-day period of this, let alone going to five or six places weekend after weekend after weekend. Um, and even you mentioned your preparation for the first one was different from your preparation for the fourth one. So how do you, how do you stay energized on this process? Well, so I, I guess this is some advice that I would give that is related to this conversation. And, and and this has more to, or less to do with scheduling conflicts and and more to do with, with with this situation. Let's say that you've done a couple interviews, and and one thing I'll say too is is sometimes you may hear back very quickly after you do the interview. You may get an offer of admission, 
Um, and so once how quickly? Uh, well, I mean, in some cases, you might hear back. You know, you leave on Saturday. Maybe you hear on Monday or Tuesday. Do you ever chase anybody in their car as they pull away? <laughs> the no, answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> pull the stereo outside their hotel room. Yeah, we do that for a few special students every year. But you know, you may find out. You know what? I got into these really these two really good schools that were the top of my list, and I really liked it there. And but I've still got these other couple interviews left, and I'm not as excited. I didn't really want to. They were at the top of my list anyway. My opinion is that if you know that you don't want to go to a school, that you should just let them know and and cancel your interview. If they've already bought a plane ticket? I think so. Really? I do. Because... But that that flies in the face of everything we've talked about here, which is you don't know until you know, until you've gone there and you've met the people. There there could be some something you just don't know about it because you... Sure. It could be. And you know what I'm not saying... I haven't convinced you at all. Uh, well, well... Well, I'll say I also did this during my, when I did interviews. Um, so I had done four interviews and I had offers and I had of those four, there were three that I really liked um, and I had offers from those. And then there was one that I didn't like. So it was easy to write that off. And I had one more interview scheduled to really good program. But at that point, I was just kind of tired and I didn't want to be gone another weekend. Yeah. And that's what I'm asking about the fatigue. So by having an overloaded schedule, perhaps you made the right choice. You just don't know, right? Mm-hmm. You, you never saw the last place. And so it could have been great. It could have been terrible. You're happy with what you chose. You yep. had enough good options on the table. You were tired. Yeah. It, it just, it makes me wonder about scheduling six or eight interviews yeah, well, at all. And I will say at that moment, I was already having a hard time deciding even between the other three. And so you didn't, yeah, you didn't I didn't want options. another option. Yeah, actually, that's what I didn't want. Could have been the tiebreaker. You don't know. It could have been. It could I'll have never, been the one I'll that was just know. so obvious. But but what I will say, you know, is if if you do know that a school that you're supposed to interview with is really you're not really that interested anymore, if you can let them know as soon as possible, because another reason to potentially do that, and now I'm not talking about you know cancel two days before you're supposed to fly out there, but if it's still a few weeks away, I mean there still potentially is time. Um, a lot of schools have a wait list, and there might be a chance for another applicant to take your spot. You know, somebody who might really want to go to that school. Now, what I'm not saying is I'm not trying to guilt anyone into who's sort of on the fence and not sure from somehow giving up a spot that they earned. Absolutely, you should go do the interview. But if you know, if you know you don't want to go to that school, um, my opinion is everyone's time is precious. You know, your time is uh, the faculty you'll be interviewing with. Their time is the grad students. Um, Sure, maybe there's the flight, but there's also the food you're going to eat, the hotel you're going to stay in. Yeah, why do it? That's that's sort of my opinion, and everyone may not agree with me, but I think if you know, yeah, certainly you when know. you're applying, you have the schools you are most excited about, and the schools you are applying to sort of as backup, mm-hmm. and you may get into those or get an interview, and then the question is, if there's not if it's not compelling enough, and you and you know you have offers on the table, what I what I don't hear you saying, and I'm glad is. Hey, I don't have any offers yet, but I'm not going to go there because I'm pretty <laughs> sure they liked me over here. Yeah, no, no, no. So don't do that, right? I mean, this would be something you would do when you've got the offers we on the table. We had a great <laughs> rapport. We did lines of Coke together. It was so much fun, right? Oh, oh that uh, happened in one of my interviews. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> not even kidding. I did not do any lines of Coke, <laughs> oh but God. I kid you not. 
the, the grad student social outing was at this house. It was uh, part of it. And me and some of the other uh, applicants. Are you allowed to tell the story? I don't know if I'm even going to keep okay, this in the show. Great. We walked upstairs, walked in the room, and there were some people doing coke. There you go. Good times. That's the only time I've ever seen people doing coke was yeah. at my interview at this school that Grad I won't mention yeah, which don't one say it was. Which one it is. Yeah. You can tell me later. And that was a big turnoff to me. I was actually... Okay, well, I think this is a great transition to what I would like to hear from our listeners this week, which is everybody who has gone on an interview or who has been a graduate student or, or a faculty member interviewing other students, you, you've participated in these weekends. I want to hear about those, what you called kisses of death. I want to hear about oh, those. Oh, you want to hear the good stories. I want to hear the people <laughs> and what they did that was just so outrageous that you said, there's no way this person can come to this school. So, you know, the person who fell asleep in the lecture, the person who, I don't know, made uncomfortable advances toward whomever, put those on Twitter and you can tag that grad interview fails and, uh, We'll send out a tweet this week. I would love to hear those stories. And clearly, they don't have to be about you. Just somebody you saw. Yeah, that would be hilarious. Just for my entertainment. A hashtag grad interview fails. I'm excited. Mistakes were made. Mistakes were made. <laughs> I don't know. These are, these are like these are a dark fascination for me. The person who falls asleep, the person who maybe takes the drinking a little too far. I think they're going to be funny. Yeah, maybe it was somebody you were on an interview with. Maybe it was you. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> pretend it was somebody else. And you're, I had a friend yep. who, uh, yeah, yeah, that would be that'd be fun, Dan. Well, I hope this was helpful to any of our listeners out there who are uh, in the process of doing grad school interviews now or in the future, because this will That's be right. on the website. You can look it up. Perennially useful, and we will link right. to the previous episodes in this series on the application process. Like we mentioned before, we talked to Beth about knowing which schools to apply to, where to go. She has some great content in that interview about if you have a significant other that you're traveling with and how you can bring that up on your interview. So go back and listen to that if that's you. Uh, We also talked about personal statements and the application process in general. So go back, listen to some of those. That's episodes 101 and 102. And keep writing to us with your questions. All right, Dan, well, it's been great. Glad we talked all about the grad school uh, application admissions process because we can't talk about grad school without people who got into grad school. <laughs> I'm going to go contemplate that and think deeply on it. Thanks, really, Josh. This is all just selfish because if people stopped getting into grad school, we couldn't do this podcast anymore. That's true. So actually, it is in our best interest to help them get into grad school. That's right. It's very self-serving. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, Dan. Well, I hope you all enjoyed this topic. But if you have a topic or question you'd like to hear us discuss on the show, you can email us, podcast at hellophd.com, send us a tweet at hellophd, or leave us a message on our Facebook page. If you've been enjoying the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. We love the feedback. And if you'd like to support the show, you can become a patron. Simply go to our website, hellophd.com, click the Become a Patron button, or you can visit patreon.com slash hellophd, and we would appreciate the beer money. Thanks to the ongoing support of all our patrons. And Josh, we will see you in a couple of weeks. See you in a couple of weeks, Dan. If we don't record before then, um, have a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holiday. All right, we'll see you next time.